0: Thank you for joining us. I'm Alex White from Flint, and I'm joined by our senior diplomatic team. Our founder, Sir Simon Fraser, who previously led the UK Foreign Office, Matthew Learfeld, previously from the US State Department, and Haifa Mata, previously of the Bahraini Foreign Ministry. This call is a continuation of the discussion that we had in the immediate aftermath of the attacks on October the 7th. As before, the normal rules apply. We will spend around 20 to 25 minutes in discussion. I'm afraid your mics are muted, but if you'd like to follow up on any aspects of what we cover today, do please get in touch with either me or your normal Flint contact. We're going to break the discussion into two parts today, focusing first on the immediate implications in the region before zooming out a little bit to look at the important wider implications for the global system and for the global economy. Two caveats. Um, Of course, the situation on the ground is both very fast-moving and very difficult, and there's a lot of suffering on both sides which arouses strong emotions. Our approach to this discussion will be to be objective and analytical while respecting that and being forward-looking in our analysis. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I'm going to kick off with you, Simon. Uh, And if we could start just with a a summary of where we think we are. We are a month after the attacks of October the 7th. How do we expect the situation on the ground to develop in the short term?
1: Well, thank you very much, Alex. As you say, events are fast moving, so it's not always easy to stand back. But let's endeavour to do so. I think the first thing I would say is that I do expect the military operations to continue. The Israelis now seem to have gained effective control of Gaza City, uh, but they will have further objectives. And because of the nature of the fighting, I think the humanitarian situation in Gaza is likely to continue to deteriorate before it gets better. Uh, And I do think we need to expect an ongoing and protracted military operation. So Israel is going to press ahead with its military objectives. And the questions that that raises for me are, first of all, can they militarily achieve those objectives at an acceptable cost in terms of their own losses? And I think the answer to that is probably yes, but Hamas are effective and well-organized, so this is going to be difficult for the Israeli troops. And secondly, how far are they going to be able to go before the humanitarian cost becomes so unbearable and international pressure mounts to such an extent that they really have to uh, accede to those pressures Uh, my assessment of that is that the us is not going to press israel for a ceasefire as opposed to shorter humanitarian pauses until it feels it really has to but clearly The U.S. is now pressing harder for humanitarian pauses and for access to aid. Um, Meanwhile, the U.S. is going to pursue diplomacy to calm regional concerns, to discourage and deter escalation, and to start to lay the groundwork (laughs) for post-conflict negotiations. So in this, the U.S. is the diplomatic mediator, but we do have to bear in mind that the U.S. is also firmly supportive of Israeli strategy against Hamas. Uh, Matthew can talk more about the the U.S. uh, activity on this call. And at some point, also, Israel is going to have to start thinking about the situation that they're going to face after the fighting, both in Gaza and in the wider region. And it's notable that Secretary of State Blinken has now begun to talk about that, and again, we can address that. So that's the immediate situation. One final point, the big question beyond that in the short term, is uh, is there going to be more escalation. So we've seen some escalation, but uh, I would say that so far the signs are that Iran and its proxies are being relatively restrained. So I think that we are likely to see the military activity limited to the periphery of Israel. That seems to be the central case at the moment, perhaps spreading in parts of the West Bank and South Lebanon. And of course, there have been sporadic attacks on U.S. targets which we can talk about as well. Uh, I think Hafer is best place of those of us on this call to look at those issues. So I'll hand back to you, Alex. Great. Thanks, Simon.
0: Look, um, Matthew, let's, let's turn to you uh there's there's obviously an enormous amount of diplomatic activity going on around the conflict uh both visible and i'm sure an awful lot under the surface as well uh can you just talk us through what what the objectives are at the moment um particularly on the part of the us and where is this leading where are they going to get
2: to sure thanks uh, alex and very pleased to be here um you know as as you all have seen secretary blinken spent um the better part of the last week uh engaged in shuttle diplomacy running around he met with uh um, many of the leaders in the key countries in the region and the us's primary message here was to really reassure uh the arab partners that the us is committed to minimizing harm to civilians in gaza and ensuring the continued flow of uh humanitarian aid. Uh, it's it's worth noting that initially, uh, these calls for humanitarian pauses were rebuffed by Netanyahu. Um, but the U.S. has kept steady pressure up, um, including um, uh, from President Biden, uh, which ultimately led to Netanyahu giving an interview um, to the American media on Monday, uh, where he conceded that israel agreed humanitarian aid needed to be delivered that it would be achieved through these what he called tactical pauses in the fighting Uh, but in the same breath he ruled that um, ruled out that happening anytime soon so i very much agree with simon that the us uh, won't be pressing israel for a ceasefire until it really has to but i think the us is 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 more sensitive to and and recognizes that Global sentiment, writ large, is is turning against Israel and and will probably continue to head in that direction. Some of the other visits that uh, Blinken did in the region, um, such as his trip to Iraq and Turkey, were were primarily uh, aimed at conveying the message to Iran and Hezbollah that the US will intervene militarily in the case of a direct attack on Israel um and the us has deployed even more firepower to the region to reinforce that message including uh an ohio class um nuclear submarine which has a tremendous amount of um uh, cruise missiles and firepower uh as Simon mentioned there've been a number of uh attacks against uh us and uh, coalition military targets in syria and iraq um you know While there's been a real increase in sort of the tempo um, and um, a number of attacks, um, they haven't really resulted in uh, any deaths or serious injuries. Um, And I think it's important to keep in mind, like the the missiles that Hezbollah shoots at Israel, this is a a fairly regular occurrence anyway. So this has just increased the severity of it. Um, the US has struck back um, uh, even yesterday, they hit a munitions depot um, that they said to belong to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Um, but the US, I'd say the Pentagon's military assessment is that, uh, at least in the short term, um, Iran and Hezbollah won't seek to escalate it, and I know that um, Haifa will address that. One final point um, and Simon touched on uh, yesterday at the G7 meeting uh, in Japan. Lincoln set out some of the, I would call them the parameters that the US wants to see for a post-conflict Gaza. First and foremost, the Palestinians should run Gaza. Um, There should be no forcible displacement of Palestinians from Gaza, no reoccupation of Gaza, no blockage or besiege and no reduction in territory. And this message is really uh, directed, I think, about to to try to restrain Israel from uh, reoccupation of Gaza. And I'll stop there and turn it back to you, Alex.
0: Thanks very much, Matthew. Hafer, hey, let's turn to the regional reactions and, and what's going on in the uh, in the immediate region. Um, so obviously, we've had a lot of significant interventions, including the the much-trailed speech from Nasrallah uh, of Hezbollah, um, which appeared to us, I think, to leave quite a few of the, the options open. Um, with regard to Hezbollah and Lebanon, what 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 risk of there is there of this really escalating out into the wider region? Because I think that's that's really the core question for a lot of people watching this from distance.
3: Uh, thanks, Alex. Um, I agree with Simon and Matthew's assessment. I think the risk of regional military escalation today is lower than it was a few weeks ago. Um, Of course, I say this with caution as the situation is volatile and very fragile. Um, But if we look at some of the indicators like Hassan Nasrallah's speech last week and the rockets fired from both the Houthis and the Iraqi militant groups, um, we don't really see anyone triggering a full-on escalation so far, um, including countries on the sidelines like Iran, Russia, and Turkey. They don't seem like they want to get directly involved. And the U.S. um, is working to keep the the conflict localised. Matthew, you mentioned humanitarian pauses. There have been reports today um, that negotiations are underway to reach a three-day humanitarian ceasefire in, exchange, in Gaza in exchange for the release of about a dozen hostages held by Hamas, which is being brokered by Qatar, Egypt, and the U.S. Um, we'll see how um, those nega- negotiations go. Um, but I think there is a potential spillover, um, not, nece- not militarily, um, but it could be in the form of social unrest regionally, In countries like Lebanon, Jordan, and Egypt, all three countries are suffering economically with challenging internal dynamics. And if you combine that with populations that are angry and frustrated by how their governments are responding to the war, it could lead to social unrest. Uh, So far, the protests in support of Palestinians across the Arab world are mostly peaceful, but this can change and they can quickly turn to anti-government protests. Um, We saw this recently in Egypt. Diplomatically, there has been a fallout that will be felt for several months to come. Um, Several countries like Jordan, Turkey, Chad, Chile, Honduras, Colombia, and South Africa have recalled their diplomats from Israel in protest of the military operations in Gaza. Um, Bolivia has severed diplomatic ties. I think the longer the war continues, the more difficult it will be for Arabs to engage with Israel and for Saudi Arabia to resuscitate efforts to normalize ties with them. On Saudi Arabia, they'll be hosting this weekend an emergency Arab League summit in the hope of seeing more common Arab political alignment. They'll also host an Organization of Islamic Cooperation Extraordinary Summit, which the Iranian president is scheduled to attend. Um, On Iran, I think it is focusing on positioning itself in the region for after the war. They want to contain this conflict because their priority is the survival of their regime and a full-on confrontation with Israel and the U.S. will challenge that? They'll also want to preserve Hezbollah as a key line of defense, and they don't plan to jeopardize that for the Palestinian cause. They've always used the Palestinian issue for their own gains. Um, I'll end there.
0: Okay. Well, look, look. Why don't we zoom out a little bit um, and talk about the uh, the global impact of the of the conflict. Um, so there are lots of dimensions to this. One element is of course that um the extent of bandwidth that the Israel Hamas conflict is is taking up is not uh helpful for the dynamics around Ukraine, for example. Um there are also, you know, Haifa, you alluded to um uh the implications for uh relations with the global south. Uh Simon, do you want to just sort of Kick us off on this, and yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: I'll pick it up in the region in terms of the wider consequences and move on. So, I mean, even if the central assumption is now that fighting will stay in the periphery of Israel, this is a very serious crisis in the region, and I think it's inevitably going to lead to a new phase in. Middle East politics and in Middle East diplomacy, and Matthew has uh, hinted at that already. I think it's too soon to say exactly how uh, this will develop, and the levels of trust and, indeed, diplomatic capacity uh, on both sides and, indeed, in the region more generally, I think are very low at the moment. So this is going to take time to play out, going from a conflict, a hot conflict, into an ongoing process. I think we're probably going to see changes of leadership in Israel and on the Palestinian side, uh, and it does seem to me that there is inevitably going to be a new effort to address the underlying issues of the Palestinian situation. You know, In this region, a diplomatic process important, is important, and one of the problems we have is that that's been neglected over the last decade. Uh, And when you look at the issues, you know, you do come to the conclusion that the only stable and lasting answer is going to be a two-state solution here. But we are miles away from any approach to that at the moment. And the problems are, of course, really intractable. Uh, They're getting more complicated in a way. For example, it seems clear now that Gaza is going to have a, a more formalized, different status and security regime from that of the West Bank. Uh, as we go forward. And that makes the whole set of questions around the Palestinian polity uh, more difficult. If we then look more broadly, as you're suggesting, Alex, uh, and zoom out further, um, that is going to take a lot of international diplomatic uh, uh, effort. But we also have many other things going on, and we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And it's clear that this crisis is diverting attention from, for example, the Ukraine situation uh, and other uh, things that we are facing. Uh, not least because it's also generating so much internal division within our own societies, uh, as here in the UK, for example, with the controversy over the marches that are going to that are planned for this weekend, and indeed the tension that's become more evident recently within the Labour Party. Um, We've seen moves in Washington to detach the question of aid for Israel from further support from Ukraine. Uh, And on the ground in Ukraine, the situation appears to be in a stalemate. So Putin will, I think, be very happy that US and Western focus and resources are being redirected at the moment. Uh, And I think if we look forward, this could become challenging and dangerous next year. For example, if Russia were able to restore its military position. In Ukraine, that's going to create hard questions for the EU, for example, next year as a new commission comes in and takes office. And then, especially if Donald Trump were to be elected next year in the United States, a whole set of new questions would would arise relating to these broader issues in Ukraine. Um, And more broadly, I think, you know, what the Gaza crisis is reminding us of is the relative diminution of US power as the global policeman. Uh, and indeed, you know, the influence of the West more generally. Uh, and meanwhile, in the background, of course, we still have this geostrategic standoff with China going on. And we have a, a leadership election in Taiwan due in in January. So there are plenty of other things for us to be concerned about. And international cooperation is not in a very good state at the moment. So final point, we're looking at the uh, COP conference happening in the Middle East in uh, the UAE Later this month. And I think that the crisis in the region is going to, and this diversion of attention is going to make it more difficult for uh, focus to achieve results, for example, in that forum, too. So many things for us to think about and many potential knock on effects. Back to you, Alex.
0: Thanks very much indeed, Simon. Um, I mean, as you say, a huge amount of uh, potential wider impact and, and none of it really particularly positive. I, I just wanted to spend a minute or two on on some of the economic impacts before I go back to Matthew. Um, look, I'd say here that we don't actually know significantly more now about the likely medium-run economic impacts of what's been going on than than we did a month ago. Um, if HAFA is fortunately right and you know the risks of a wider conflict going down then that's obviously extremely positive both um for obvious practical reasons but also in terms of the economic impact because really the 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 question is the, the economic question is whether this becomes a wider conflict involving iran and other regional actors or or not um but look, clearly that worst case scenario of a wider war remains possible, uh, although it's not the base case. And and while it is there, while it remains a possibility, we, we have to live, I think, with a certain pool of uncertainty, which will weigh on sentiment, both within the region and more broadly. I think at a macro level, that means that there's a greater risk of sharp changes in the price of commodities, oil in particular, uh, that will be... That will be uh sort of responsive to, to challenges like this to headline shocks. Um, and some of those shocks may not actually be endogenous to this conflict, but the fact that you've got this background uncertainty going on, I just I do think makes the likely sort of market behavior over the next uh three to six months potentially choppier. Um and as we talked about last time, the way in which these risks potentially interact with an uncertain interest rate environment are not encouraging. Uh, In the immediate term, though, um, look, we're clearly seeing a ripple effect in the region. So in Egypt, for example, officials are obviously very concerned about tourism arrival. But, But these impacts, the immediate term impacts are not significant in and of themselves and are unlikely to trouble many people on this call. The only place where the immediate impacts are really already very obvious are in Israel and, of course, in the Palestinian territories themselves. But look, this is it's obviously an area that we're going to have to continue to look at very closely. Matthew, I, I want to come back to you um, and on this sort of wider theme. Obviously, the conflict is very raw. It's very emotional. Um, it is reverberating around the world and it is exacerbating some underlying tensions internal divisions within a lot of our societies could, could you just say a word or two about how this may play in in influencing the political
2: environment in the US in Europe um, and elsewhere sure thanks thanks alex um so you know zooming out i think division is absolutely the right word you you see this this issue really um, splitting the public and and political parties in in a whole range of countries. And and I think it's reasonable to expect these kinds of divisions to just deepen as uh, the humanitarian costs um, become uh, more and more apparent. Uh, In the US, in terms of the politics, uh, the war in Gaza um, um, hasn't been good for Biden. He's really been under attack both from uh, the left and right flanks. Um, The leftist progressive wing of the Democratic Party and a lot of younger people have been mobilizing. There have been protests across the U.S. uh, about the humanitarian crisis and the perceived uh, imbalance and complicity of the U.S. for unconditional support for Israel. Um, You know, uh, the Democratic congresswoman from Michigan, Rashida uh, Tilab, who's the only Palestinian uh, uh, American in Congress, um, was recently censored. She um accused joe joe biden of being complicit in in uh genocide um uh and uh from the right he's getting a lot of attacks from republicans for sort of not having uh being strong enough um being responsible in some way for the crisis i think it just shows the overall sentiment that um uh, voters have greater confidence in trump and the republicans in dealing with national security issues, um, and the crisis, uh, in the Middle East. Um, but with that said, you know, it's, it's worth noting there was elections this week in the U S, uh, on Tuesday, Democrats did uh, much better than expected. Uh, this seems to be driven less by the popularity of, of Biden, but more just kind of the disarray of the Republican, uh, leadership in Congress and, um, and a backlash uh, against um, further restrictions uh, on abortion. Uh, in the EU, uh, there's just a tremendous division between the states, um, uh, so because of this, I don't expect that they'll be able to bring a lot of influence to shape the crisis. Um, I think it's, it's uh, worth looking at, there was a recent vote in the UN General Assembly about a ceasefire and you saw that the European member states were split, they were all over the place some voting for, some voting against, and some in the middle. Uh, in terms of the UK, Simon already touched on it briefly, but um, Simon, do you want to say anything else about sort of how it's impacting the the UK polity?
1: No, I think that, I, I mean, I made the point, it's, it is obviously very sensitive domestically. We do have this question about these proposed uh, protests, um, marches this weekend, and obviously this is Being becoming a political issue, the the one point I would make is it seems to me that the handling of this is, as we're seeing in the UK, is sort of more difficult for centre-left parties uh, than it is for centre-right and right parties. And uh, that is something that I think is a potential trend that we should keep an eye on uh, as this goes forward. You know, they're looking at managing different constituencies within their parties, and it's quite a complex political management challenge. Back to you, Alex.
0: Uh, Thank you both very much. Look, I I think we should stop there for now. Uh, Obviously, it's hugely complicated. There will be ongoing ripple effects of what is going on on the ground, um, both in the region and more broadly. We will continue to follow all of those uh, for our clients. I'd just like to say to everyone, thank you very much indeed for joining us. If you'd like to discuss any of this further, please, as I said at the top of the call, get in touch either with me or or your day-to-day Flint contacts, and we'd be very happy to have a further conversation. But we will close for now. Thank you.